The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio with your host, Ann Gelsheimer. We are entering higher levels of consciousness with both old and new spiritual technologies to help us be the people we've always dreamed of being. We can make the choice to evolve in consciousness and become the change the world needs today. Now, here is Ann Gelsheimer. Hello, this is Ann Gelsheimer and welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio. For many Western people, the idea of contact with extraterrestrial or star beings seems far-fetched, belonging to the realm of science fiction. But this is not true for many indigenous peoples from around the world. When I did a bit of research for Dr. Stephen Greer, I discovered that many indigenous peoples, such as the Maya, Cherokee, and Australian Aborigines, have an oral tradition that traces their ancestral lineage back to the star systems, such as the Pleiades. There are also petroglyphs and other forms of art from around the world that seem to depict the appearance of saucer-shaped craft and humanoid beings with very large eyes dressed in what appear to be jumpsuits or even spacesuits. Our guest today, Dr. Artie Sixkiller-Clark, is a professor emeritus at Montana State University, an author and a noted American Indian researcher who's collected very personal narratives of close encounters between contemporary American Indians and star people. Her book, Encounters with Star People, Untold Stories of American Indians, presents a collection of accounts given directly to Artie by American Indians from all over the USA based on their conscious recollection of events that they'd often hidden from even friends and family. I found the individual stories so authentic and fascinating that I carried Artie's book with me in my car to read and reread whenever I had a few minutes to spare. I'm so pleased to be able to share this book with our listeners and to have a chance to speak to Artie about her experiences. So, Artie, welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, I know you start the book uh, with a, a little preface explaining why you use the term American Indians rather than Native Americans. Right. Would you like to say a little bit about that? Well, um, so many times, um, um, and I've personally encountered this, but, um, you know, when, when you identify yourself as a Native American uh, to someone who is not Native American, they'll say, well, I'm a Native American, too, because I was born here. So it happened to, you know, in in such general terms that, um, you know, all of our encounters that several years ago, a group of us decided in academia that we were no longer going to refer to ourselves as Native Americans, that we would, our writings and our writings, that we would refer to American Indians. And um, then a number of years ago, um, uh, it was picked up and, and uh, suggested by 
uh, uh, journalists that we do the same thing. So when I write, I refer to Native Americans as American Indians, but in actuality, we like to, we prefer to be called by our tribal names, but, um, uh, and, and for most part, you will, you will, when you are on reservations, you will hear people refer to themselves as Indians. So uh, that's why we do that. Okay, thank you. I, I just wanted people to understand in case that was a bit surprising for anyone listening. So, Artie, I'm curious about what led to your decision to research and publish a book about encounters with star people. Well, you know, uh, when I came to Montana many years ago as a assistant professor at that time and, and director of the Center for Bilingual Multicultural Education, the center um, was designed to... Um, to bring um, uh, Native students to campus uh, to study in the fields of uh, teaching um, uh, to become principals and superintendents of schools. And because when I arrived here, there were very few Native people who were even teaching on the reservations. And we felt that, you know, it would be wonderful if we could have Native people teaching children as well so that they would have some role models who, you know, in the classroom. Sure. Um, so we, I had gone out on, initially on a lot of recruiting trips to the reservations talking to potential students and uh, I was on this one reservation where uh, after I had finished talking with students, the, the person who had arranged the um, the interviews suggested that we go to a nearby town for dinner. And on the way back, he said to me, he says, if you got a few minutes, um, he said, I want to show you something. And so we took this mountain road up above his village, and he pulled up there and parked and reached over and got a pair of binoculars, and he said, come with me if if we're lucky, he says. Uh, we'll see them, and, and uh, they'll come. And I said, who? And he said, well, um, the ancestors, the star people. And we didn't see anything that night, but all the way back to the university, I kept thinking, uh, how many other people have stories about star people? Uh, and so um, when I would travel, uh, going to conferences or on vacation or, um, you know, recruiting uh, and if I stayed over the weekend or if I went out at night with people uh, from the reservation, I'd always ask, do any of you have star stories? Do any of you know about star people? And I just started collecting stories out of my own interest because I, I just was fascinated about how many people had had encounters and how many people had had experiences, and I never told anyone. So I just started keeping, you know, taping, keeping notes, writing notes, and pretty soon people started calling me the UFO lady, and they would come to me with stories. They said, you know, I heard, you know, that you're collecting stories, and I have a story to tell. So not only did I collect stories from Native people on reservations, there are a lot of non-Indians who live on reservations, and so I have a whole, you know, set of uh, stories from non-Indians who live on or near reservations, and so it just kept growing and growing, and and over the years, I've just collected hundreds of stories. 
Now, when you were um, asking the question, just in social situations, you know, who who had an encounter with star beings or UFOs, how would you characterize the response you were getting from the American Indians you were speaking with? Well, I never got much response in groups. Right. Uh, you know, somebody would say, well, I'll, I've, uh, I have a story to tell, but I'll talk to you later about it. Um, but... Um, People are very private about their stories. Uh, some people didn't say anything and would approach me at other times um, and say, I do have a story I want to tell you. But I never um, I never felt, uh, there were only a couple of cases where I felt somebody might be telling me a tale, uh, right. but um, extremely honest and reliable um, uh, accounts that I I'm, I was. I'm quite sure that what I recorded in in my book, and incidentally, um, I just had a new book come out called Sky People. Uh, oh, has it been has it been released already? It it was released. Uh, uh, it was released Monday. Oh, how exciting! Because I've ordered it. Yeah, it, <laughs> it'll it, be arriving here any minute. On Monday, and and it is. Um, you know, it's about. Uh, uh, my journey through Mesoamerica and interviewing the Maya and the Zapotec and the Mixtec, but mostly Maya, um, following in the footsteps of two two uh, 19th century explorers uh, who went to that part of the world in search of these ancient cities. And I've followed in their footsteps searching for not only the ancient cities, but the ancient stories of their encounters with star people, sky gods, and uh, and then uh, recording local stories and contemporary stories of their experiences today. So you're you're actually writing a series of books, aren't you? This is this yes. is not just one or two. Is that right? Yes, I'm I'm working right now on a third book. Excellent. Well, I know that doing the research has been challenging, um, I'm sure, in many different ways. Um, I was looking looking through it again today and, you know, just establishing credibility so that people would share the stories with you uh, was always important. Can you talk about that process of gaining trust? Uh, I, I think, you know, with... with um, um, my my first book, Encounters with Star People, I think the credibility there came from, um, I was not only, you know, doing recruitment and, and sponsoring students and, and counseling them and advising them at the university, so that in itself gave me some credibility on reservations. Um, the other thing is, I was not only doing that, but I was also doing research on various reservations, so people saw me a lot. Um, I interacted with people. I visited their homes. I, you know, I gained credibility by, you know, um, um, uh, simply, you know, being seen and, and being trustworthy and being honest, I think. And, and people knew that if they shared confidences with me, I wasn't going to reveal who they were and I wasn't going to gossip. Um and so I think, uh, you know, that trust came over time. I think when I traveled to Mesoamerica, uh, um, uh, there's a lot of respect for educated people uh, among uh, in Mesoamerica, but also the fact that I had a 
uh, drivers and guides and interpreters who had credibility with the people. And they're sponsoring me and sitting beside me and saying it's okay to tell her your story. I think that had lended a great deal of credibility to who I was. That makes sense. And I know you mentioned that you would often bring gifts and meetings Always with people at night. Yes, because mm-hmm. that's, if, if you want to take people's time, you honor them and respect them, and that's, that's the way we do it in our culture. Um, whether it's, you know, I always tried when I was in the um, uh, interviewing American Indians, you know, to, if I had a specific interview set up, I tried to find out what does that person like, you know, what kind of food, what kind, you know, if they uh, want tobacco. Um, I always, uh, you know, took took tobacco with me. Uh, drinks, uh, you know, some preferred uh, Coca-Cola or, you know, drinks right. they probably shouldn't I'm, have, but that's what they, they that's liked. That's what they liked. So that's what I took. Um, but yes, you know, I always took food, and many times I ended up having to cook some food for some of the elders, but that was okay, too. I, you know, I would spend the whole day with them. I love that in the book, actually, the way they welcomed you into their homes, and it, it became a very much, well, and certainly in some cases, a real friendship for you. It did, and I became very close to some of them, uh, particularly some of the elders, um, and and uh, so, so many of them lived alone, and, um, uh, you know, my visits became a, a something that they enjoyed and expected, you know, and and uh, and I enjoyed as well. It was it became a very um, very close relationship. And what was it like for you um, in, in the second section? I should just say we're we're going to go into the actual encounters. We're going to talk to people about you know what was seen and what was shared with you. But for I'm just curious about you as a researcher listening to all these stories. How that shifted your your experience of the world. Well, I was a believer going in. I mean, you know, I, I think all it did was it confirmed what I already knew. And you know, but the I, I, I think the the thing that that if if I were surprised by anything, it would be the fact that um, the stories were so varied and and so amazing. Um. I yes, think I that agree. would have been, uh, you know, you you had the normal stories of the of the abduction and you know seeing um, uh, seeing uh, aliens or uh, in in similar descriptions, but some of the events that were described in in uh, encounters with star people and in sky people. Um, w- were far beyond anything I could have imagined, you know, the, the experience that some people had. They were very uh, personal experiences for some, and, and some very warm. Like, you know, I, I know we're going to talk about this in a minute, but it's a friendship, almost a friendship. I mean, you could say it wasn't a regular contact, but people reported more than one time sometimes meeting with the star being and, and apparently real respect and concern. Yes, 
So what I think we'll do is we'll take a a little bit of an early break because I want to leave us lots of time to talk about uh, the encounters in the next segment. So we'll just just take a pause right here. This is Ann Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we'll be back with Dr. Artie Sixkiller-Clark and listen to the encounters that she collected from American Indians with star beings. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you a spiritual seeker? Have you always pondered the deeper questions in life? Have you looked at many spiritual paths and found some answers but are looking for more? The Open Door, brought to you by the Summit Lighthouse, brings you each week practical spiritual teachings and tools that promote self-mastery, higher consciousness, and the opportunity to connect with the Ascended Masters. Join Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy as we explore the universe of spirituality, live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the 7th Wave Channel. With the divorce rate staggering in the Western world and a majority of men and women sleeping with someone other than their spouse, we need to look at relationships and marriage from another point of view. Listen for Contract for Love with your host, Lori J. Contracts are the best way to protect ourselves and our children from a society of broken marriages. You'll learn more about relationships than you ever thought possible. Tune in to Contract for Love every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave. On the program Inside Out, our outsides match our insides. Join host Beth Green along with co-host James Maynard for an insightful weekly journey that lets us all be real with no boundaries. We'll discuss current events, interview amazing guests, challenge old ideas, and see ourselves and our world more clearly. It's about you as much as us. So you're invited to call in, write in, and most of all, tune in. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. Be extraordinary. Be the change. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to ConsciousEvolutionRadio at gmail.com. Again, that's ConsciousEvolutionRadio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. This is Ann Gelsheimer. You're listening to Conscious Evolution Radio, and uh, my guest today is Dr. Artie Sixkiller-Clark. And we're talking about her book uh, where she shares the narratives that she received from American Indians and their close encounters with star beings. So, Artie, maybe we could just jump in with one of your favorite accounts from the book. I think one of my favorite accounts was a, um, an elder I, I had um, was going to, to a reservation to um, um, recruit some students, and um, um, 
I had a colleague at the university say, I hear, you know, he heard that I was going down to the reservation and he said, um, there's a man down there on the reservation. Uh, he's the best drum maker in the country. And he said, uh, um, I bought a drum from him and he's been making it. And he said, uh, uh, it should be finished by now. And he said, I wonder, since you're going down there, if you would stop by his place and pick up the drum. And I said, well, I'd be happy to, you know. So I, I uh, get my work done and on um, decide to stay over and drive down to find his place and, and uh, visit with him and, and pick up his drum, this drum. And when I got there, you know, he invited me in for coffee, and and I had taken some things, some gifts to him, and and uh, we're sitting there having coffee, and he said some mighty strange things happen out here. Um, he told me, and I said, well, what kind of things? And so he began to tell me the story of a UFO that frequently came onto his property and hovered over. His, and he, he said, come, let me look at, look at this. He says, they hover over that field right there, he said. And they, uh, a car comes out of it, and it's filled with people or beings or something. And they drive through my field, and they, they disappear. And he said, the next day, the car comes back, doesn't have any people in it, and then it's gone. And... He said, take a walk with me. And he took me out into this field, and there in the field are the car tracks. He said, now, I don't own a car, I've, and no one around here, you know, drives into this field except the people who come from the stars. And he said, and then he showed me this circle on the ground where this UFO hovered, and he said, it's always the same place. And he said, nothing grows there, not even a blade of grass. And he, he said, they make the car tracks. I don't make the car tracks. So he continued to talk about his experiences, and one of the things that he told me is that one night, he saw them come, and he said they had a flat tire. And it was though they had no idea what to do. I'm sure. And he said they came to his cabin, and, and the, the driver, and he just stood there. And he said, I have all my lights off, and I'm waiting for somebody to knock on the door. And he just stands out there. Wow. And he said, finally, I opened the door. But he doesn't say a word. He just indicates that I should follow him. And I follow him, and I tell him that once I get out there that everybody's going to have to get out of the car so I can jack it up and change this tire. And he said that they got out of the car, and they stood way off from him. They didn't want to have any interaction with him at all. And he said he changed the tire, and they gave him silver dollars. Wow. And I said, well, do you still have them? And he said, uh, um, well, I have one. And he pulled it out of his pocket, and he showed it to me. It was an American silver dollar. And he said, uh, the rest of them I sold. And uh, when he passed a few years later, that's one of the things that he requested that I have is that silver dollar that he had gotten from 
the oh, alien. Uh, what a sign of affection! Pardon? So he had such affection for you and such well, respect. Well, and I had a lot of affection for him because uh, over the time, you know, I, I think I was probably one of his few visitors. You know, he had he had no children, and and uh, um, he had a buddy uh, that would occasionally come and and uh, visit him and and stay, you know, a couple of weeks and. Uh, um, you know, then he would go back to his family. But, um, you know, they were these, uh, you know, he was a, uh, he was a loner. I mean, he had grown up, um, you know, on the, on the reservation. He, he lived in his father's, um, he lived in his father's cabin, uh, that had been passed on to him. He, uh, and didn't have, uh, you know, it was so isolated. I mean, where he lived was so isolated that, you know, it was it, it was not an easy chore to get in there. Fortunately, I had a four-wheel drive and could get, you know, almost any place with my little Subaru. So. Well, I, know, I noticed that about many of the stories. They, they were in very isolated places, far out on a reservation. Oh, yeah, and many of them are almost like following a cow path. <laughs> uh, really, because the cows would make these little little uh, um, treks through, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it seemed to be they took the easiest way. And when I would be going, that's the way I would go is follow a cow path. Um, now, but they were gave, they were quite isolated. You gave um, people pseudonyms in the book to protect their their privacy. So I'll I'll I pulled out a few stories that I really loved, and I'll I'll use the pseudonym, but you'll you'll know who I'm talking about. So one of them was the account uh, given by Harrison, who was an elder of the Northern Plains tribe, and uh-huh. he shared he shared the experience of actually going aboard an ET ship that had crashed on his grandfather's property. Right, when he was a boy, yeah. Could you tell us about that? That was just a lot of information was shared from his grandfather to him and to you. Well, you know, I had known Harrison for years before he ever, you know, shared this story with me. And and he, he said to me one day, I have to take you out to where I, you know, where my grandfather lived in order to for you to really realize his story. His grandfather had owned um, this track of land um, that that bordered on a river that ran through the reservation. And uh, the Corps of Engineers came in um, uh, and took the river and dammed it up, basically to make a, um, a sporting area for boats and fishermen and right. and um, they took a lot of his his grandfather's land but before this happened uh, um, this this spacecraft had crashed on his grandfather's property and had actually gone into the side of a butte and only part of it was sticking out and um, his grandfather had experienced interaction with the uh, uh, beans that were on board. Uh, they uh, lived there uh, for quite some time before they were ever rescued. Um, and he, he he talked about how they could go into the water and their suits would never get wet, how they spent their days uh, 
um, uh, you know, collecting things around the plants and and different rocks and soil samples and things. He said, um, and when he came uh, to visit his grandfather that summer, because he spent his summers with his grandfather to get out of school and his parents, who both worked for the tribe, would take him to his grandfather's, and that's where he stayed for the whole summer. Mm-hmm. And he, as he, you know, would help as he could, and of course, as he became a young man, you know, he did most of the work for his grandfather, but he said on this one particular summer, his grandfather shared with him what had happened, and he actually said, you know, he went over and he, he climbed into this spacecraft, and how uh, he found things that that apparently was what they ate because they had told his grandfather had gone hunting one day and took food to the to these spacemen and they told him that they didn't eat that kind of food and and mm-hmm. so he found these jars of things that he assumed was food and his grandfather told him he had to leave it there because that was sacred you know that we they weren't supposed to take it and so he described the spacecraft as being a long tubular kind of craft uh, with, um, uh, I don't remember, was it 19 seats or 17 seats? It's been a while since I wrote this story. But anyway, he said that um, um, the next summer, the Corps of Engineers had come in and they had removed his grandfather, made his grandfather go and stay in a motel in a small town. And he had stayed with his grandfather and would read to him and they would walk, but his grandfather was just miserable because he was away from his place. But when they went back, they never found uh, the water had covered the place where the UFO had been. But his grandfather was convinced that they had discovered the UFO and had taken it out of there. Okay. And uh, so it was a, it was a really interesting story. I remember you you uh, said that um, the grandfather noted that the craft seemed to heal itself. It seemed to be like a living organism, which is right. something I have heard from other accounts that actually sort of tweaked my interest because it's one of the authentic signs of a craft. They're not like our craft, nuts and bolts. <laughs> and the other thing um, mentioned was that the beings uh, looked humanoid, like human, Yes. Uh, but more, more like angels, and that their eyes changed. Uh, right, that's different right. Colors, yeah. That was so interesting. And can you remember what he said about uh, why they were here, why they were coming to Earth, and for how long they'd been coming? Um, well, as I recall, he told me that they had been coming, um, you know, from the beginning of time that they had been visiting Earth. I mean, this was was not something a, a casual visit. Right. Um, so thousands that, of years, yeah. Pardon? Thousands of years. Yeah. Um, and and I think, you know, I, I've encountered people who've told me the same thing. Um, even, you know, in Mesoamerica, the very same thing. Uh, that they have been coming for centuries. Uh, um, I, I met an elder uh, in uh, Guatemala who who told me that the handprints that um, that we see on the on um, 
uh, petroglyphs and and were were from the um, what was called the the people of the red hand that traveled the universe and not only collected knowledge but gave knowledge many thousands of years ago and that um, they came from from uh, um, you know. Uh, star systems that were far beyond what you know we we can even imagine that the distance so so far away that's yeah. right and i i noticed there seem to be some that are like scientists or even um sort of extraterrestrial um anthropologists who are studying but not wanting to actually necessarily interact with humans well i think that's that would appear to be fairly common um Biologist, anthropologist, a scientist. Um, I found particularly down in Mexico and Guatemala and Honduras the collection of of uh, medicinal plants um, and sharing of knowledge about plants um, and even collecting plants. I had one gentleman tell me how they would they would very carefully dig up things in the jungle. And then they would take them and seed them on other planets, plant them where um, for other planets. So um, that that you know that he he talked about how um, uh, they could change the atmosphere and they could make a place like Earth on their on their um, in on uh, uh, in in the universe, they could t- choose a choose a star and make it a place like Earth and grow things like they had on Earth. And I have heard that that sort of cross pollination, you know, between planets where uh, animals and different kinds of uh, seeds and life forms were brought to Earth, and and what you're describing is the opposite is bringing it back to or uh-huh. bringing out into another another part of the yeah. galaxy. And and they talked about that, um, um, and that sharing of knowledge, um, particularly with um, um, the the healers and the priests, you know, that I talked to in 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 the, in the jungles. And and one of the interesting things is, uh, you know, I was told more than once that. The language of the of the sky people was the same as the Maya, and that's why they still, when they have their prayers and their ceremonies, they still speak it in their language because that's the language that the sky people talk. So you know, uh, it, it it all of this is is so uh, when you when you think about the stories that they're telling. Somehow they all make sense and they're all interrelated, and but they're telling of a of a universe that is so huge and so, um, you know, so varied in in uh, life, and uh, they talk about violence that there's there's. Um, uh, Humans are one of the violent races that live in this universe, and yes. and that's one of the things that's very sad is when you suddenly hear people talk about. They say that there are four violent races, and one of them is humans. Um, and and so, uh, it's been it's been quite a journey for me to um, to travel this path and 
and um, and the more and and I'm still collecting stories. I mean, I still everywhere I travel, everywhere I go, people tell me stories about their experiences. And I get so a lot gonna, of emails sorry, as well. Gonna, people asking me if break, I could uh, here, you know, but I. So, Artie, we're just going to take a little break, and we're going to come back. I want to share, uh, I want to hear more about the stories. I have a few of my own favorites here as well. So, this is Ann Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we will be back in just a moment. The 7th Wave Channel. On the Voice America Network. Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to ConsciousEvolutionRadio at gmail.com. Again, that's Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello, this is Ann Gelsheimer, and you're listening to Conscious Evolution Radio. My guest today is Dr. Artie Sixkiller Clark, and we've been sharing fascinating stories that she collected from American Indians about their close encounters with star beings. And so, Artie, I wanted to ask you about another one of my favorites from your book. This was an account given by Darren, a Navajo, who meant who met a star man who was lost, and his grandfather was involved. Um, there were several encounters over time, and there was a special gift, a, a bag of turquoise stones. I was wondering if you could tell that story. Yes, um, he was 
um, a, um, a man who um, his his grandfather um, he would go again in the summers and go and and stay with his grandfather. And uh, this one particular night, um, this man uh, came uh, to his father uh, grandfather's place, and he was a he was a young boy at that time, maybe seven eight years old. And he ran to his grandfather and said, "You know this 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 man is out there," which was quite unusual and had frightened him because he wasn't used to strangers being around. And um, his grandfather came to understand that this this man was actually from the stars and was lost, and that he needed direction to get back to his uh, ship. And so his grandfather guided him back to his ship and and uh, uh was greeted by by uh other aliens who who were waiting for their friend to return and over the years um, the um the alien kept coming and visiting his grandfather, and they were, from what I understood, they were like scientists that were collecting samples, and they would come back periodically, and they would collect these things. And, um, and uh, like, like they were looking at evolution or something, you know, where the things changing was the, the plants changing, where the, you know, the soil samples and things of that nature. So he got quite accustomed to to the friendship that his grandfather had developed over time with this this alien and um when his um grandfather passed um the alien um actually uh you know appeared again and and he he received the message that that he was taken home and um uh, and that the that the aliens had taken him with them, um, uh, that uh, that he didn't have to worry, and he would go back. He was an artist, and he would go back, um, and um, visit. Uh, well, he he worked out of his grandfather's place in the summertime. And he right, would, making jewelry was, was a um, an artist, mm-hmm. and he made you a very special gift, didn't he? Yes. He, um, are you talking about the the one who gave me the bracelet? I thought it was a necklace, but I could be wrong. Um, he, he oh, right, to- right. I, I'm, I'm, I was confused. Yes, he did. He made him because the uh, his grandfather had given the um, the aliens some turquoise stones. And when his grandfather died, the stones were returned, and he took those stones and he made uh, necklaces, um, and he he gave one of them to me. He gave oh. the rest one for his his uh, um, uh, sister, and one for his mother, and he gave one to me. And I I still have that, but I also had um, uh, the the uh, man who met. An alien in the desert, and he gave me a bracelet that he uh, uh, depicted. He told me that the alien's eyes were red. And oh, he yes, said, I remember Most that. Most people yeah. say their eyes are black, but he said my alien had red eyes. And he actually made a bracelet with an alien in his center with rubies 
for the eyes. And then he said, this is the story of this bracelet. On one side, he had the star system. And he said, this is where the alien lives. And then he had the alien, and on the other end of the, the other side of the, of the alien head was, he came to visit me, and he had um, a, a Hogan, and then he said he goes back to the stars. And uh, and he had made that bracelet and, and also gave that, he gave that to me. Now, there's such a range of um, differences across the appearance of the ETs or star beings, some right. looking very human, some not so human. What are your impressions from all of that? What, were they? Well, I, I think there are, there are a lot of um, um, different different uh, beings out there. I, I don't think that right. that everybody looks like humans, but I think there are some out there that do look like humans. And then I think there are other ones. You know, one of the interesting things that I've gathered over my years of research is that there are a lot of of, uh, people who have told me that they believe that the little green men, who they say are more like uh, the color of the ashes of a cigarette, um, they say that they think that they're not even... um, um, uh, organic that they think they're more like a some kind of a machine, and they think the eyes may be camera lenses or computers or because they they don't they have such powerful they they're very strong and yet uh they're very mechanical and appear very weak and frail um and I, know, so, I know dr Stephen Greer has had that information shared with him that there are some i guess they're kind of like um organic robots like they're they're partially grown and partially programmed uh-huh. but yes he's had military people confirm that these things have been created in labs and have been used on pretty nasty operations um, to abduct people and wow. uh, cause, ca- cause terror they're actually called my labs there's a name for them they're called and what my labs m i l a b s oh and really these, these operations well, we're close are to that in our own culture, aren't we? With a, a replacing of limbs and yes, and, and was, all the things that we're doing. So it's not so far fetched to think that that could be true. And what struck me about the a couple of the accounts in your book where they felt that they had been abducted and it wasn't very pleasant. Each one of them said they felt. Somehow that the government was involved, the American government was involved. They couldn't actually put their finger on it. And that's what immediately I started to wonder about. Was that a my lab or was that an authentic encounter with an ET? Not that, you know, they wouldn't know as the person experiencing it. They wouldn't know. They just know they had this encounter. But what, what was really going on? Yeah. So I was just curious about that. But I, I, when I started the show, I, I wanted to share uh, positive encounters with ETs just because in Hollywood there's so much uh, negativity and, and so much, uh, it seems like an effort to instill fear um, for beings that might be visiting from the other planets. So I, I always sort of focus more on the encounters that seem to be of a very positive nature and one of those in the book that you mentioned was of Belle, the uh, medicine woman who talked about the ancestors and also experienced a healing with the ancestors. Would you tell us about that? 
uh, you know, um, it, it's uh, the healing. Uh, I, I rarely uh, hear about that or or even read about it. Um, the spontaneous healing that goes on, and and uh, she was an exception, and and I have um, um, encountered it um, um, uh, in in. Uh, my most recent uh, book, too, uh, where um, a, a man had been sent home to die, and he said that during the night um, outside his little little house, it lit up like uh, like daylight, and there was no electricity or anything in his his little village and he said that that when this occurred um, these beings entered his his place and he said that they started working on his body and he said he felt like he was on fire oh. and when they left he said that for the first time in almost a year he could stand and walk and he said that the doctors had told him that he was dying, and he said, and here I am today, completely well. I work the fields. And he said, the, the men from the stars healed me. So, I, I, you know, I, and, and his wife verified it. His sister verified that he had been sent home to die. And and he was so weak and so ill that he could not take care, could not do anything for himself. And the night these star beings came, he was running around the yard, and and he had seen the the uh, he had followed them out into the to his backyard and had seen the craft. So when you think about the the healings that go on, um. And, and one of the things that I had a, uh, I talked to a man who was partially paralyzed. And he claimed that he had been abducted. And I said, well, it, was there any indication that they could heal you? And he said, there was. But they told me it wasn't time. And I found that very strange, you know, yes. that, that, um, that here was somebody that could obviously been healed and and who needed to be healed and that I, I wondered and I pondered over this quite a bit. Why do they choose some people to heal and others not to heal? Right. It makes you wonder, do they have knowledge of a bigger picture or a bigger plan? It's an interesting or question. Do, are they limited in the scope of what they can do? Yes, right. Or you know, uh, maybe they're not all powerful or all seeing, like you know, we think they might be if they exist. Um, so why are they selective in the people they heal and the people they don't heal? You know, and he accepted that. You know, as you know, as as a legitimate reason why they didn't heal him and I said, if I were in his shoes I would be screaming high heaven you know <laughs> right. help me here you know so I'm not paralyzed anymore but he accepted that which kind of fits that, with their non-interference for some of them anyways and, and, and what's so interesting to me is you know that whole idea of the non-interference is that 
they that 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 is the rule of the universe the doc you know the the doctrine of non interference and yet there are groups that completely ignore that, like the ones who abduct um you know, abduct people. They aren't like practicing the doctrine of non-interference, are they? No. And of course, we're not, I'm not entirely sure myself who those are. If they Are they actually ETs? Are they sort of covert operations going on to, uh-huh. you know, spread fear? I don't know. But you're right. They're definitely interfering. You know, one of the things that's interesting to me, too, is, is when you, you consider how many people go missing. Um, I, I encountered a, um, I met a woman who told me the story about her brother being abducted. And that um, they never saw him again. Wow. And that her father is still looking for his son. Um, his father thought that perhaps he had been kidnapped and that they were going to demand a ransom. But no ransom note ever came forth. Uh, the people in their area looked and looked and looked for him. But she and her sister saw him abducted. And she said that we still see the spacecraft around our hacienda, around our ranch. But she says, I'm just hoping my brother is just coming back to visit them one day. He will decide to stay. She said, the only thing that gives me comfort is knowing that perhaps what he is doing now is more important than he could ever do on Earth. And, you know, I, I, her story was very sad because when you think about, you know, they were, she was 14 when this happened and he was, I think her brother was 16. Uh, her so younger Arden? sister, I think, was 12. And the mother was an American, uh, American-born woman who had gone to Mexico. Um, Artie, sorry, Artie, I, I'm sorry, we're going to, we only have a few seconds left. Okay. Um, I just want to thank you so much. Your research is fascinating, and I, I hope you'll come back on the show uh, and share about your second and perhaps your third book. I would love um, to do that. Thank you so much. Well, so th- thank so this you. Is, oh, you're been welcome. A pleasure. It's, it has been a pleasure. Very fun. So thank you. I hope someday we meet, you know, you. Me too. Me too, for sure. I, I really do. This is Ann Gelsheimer. This is Conscious Evolution Radio. And thank you so much to Artie Sixkiller Clark. Thank you again for tuning in to Conscious Evolution Radio. Please join Ann Gelsheimer for another great show next Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We hope to see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 